Hello, and welcome to this Guru Live session on building a games community. I'm Mel Phillips, and today I'm joined by James Day, who is the head of community and social media at Jagex, George Kellyan, senior manager and communications at CCP, and Alexis Trust, who is, oh, hang on, you've, you've changed recently yes. into a marketing manager at Chucklefish. Um, Welcome. Um, I think it's great if we can start, and we'll start with you, Alexis, and work sure. our way along the line and introduce ourselves. Hi. Uh, my name's Alexis. Uh, I've been a community manager for about, well, flip-flop a bit, uh, an account manager, a community manager, marketing manager for about 10 years in the games industry. Uh, I started my career in esports and moved on to Xbox for a little bit, um, worked through different agencies in and out of games, uh, and hopefully bring all those skills into each other. Now I work for Chucklefish. I've been there for a month. Hi, my name's George. Uh, I'm celebrating my 15th year in the video games industry this year. Uh, I started off in QA, transitioned over to community management, and I've been flip-flopping between PR and community management for various different console and uh, PC developers, publishers, AAA, indie. Um, I'm currently with CCP, but have uh, diverted from working through Molyneux and Square Enix and Warner Brothers and uh, Rare and probably some others I've forgotten. Um, and uh, it's a pleasure to speak to you all today. Yay! I feel like a bit of a newbie by comparison, really. Um, I've been in the uh, games industry. I'm James Day, um, uh, head of community management and social media at Jagex. I've been in the industry about five and a half years. Um, I've been at Jagex for my whole, uh, my whole career. Um, and I've kind of started as a social media exec and worked my way up. It's a massive community. It's a living, breathing community as well. It doesn't just happen online. You have a physical meetup as well with RuneFest that yes. takes place. Yep. Um, so I guess the term community is used so loosely in games because we have both the physical, we have the online space. How important do you think it is now to have that community built from an early stage in the game? Um, I think I think community is kind of the heartbeat that makes a, a game successful, um, and we try and uh, we're defining ourselves as uh, the home of living games. And in order for a game to live, you need to have kind of that thriving community, which is not just an online community, but a community that engages with each other all over the place. And in terms of how uh, how early that has come across, um, we've. RuneScape is a it's twenty years old, I think, twenty twenty one. So at the start of twenty twenty one. So we've been building it for a long, long, long time. These kind of things don't necessarily happen overnight, um, but we have had community members of staff in in the team right from the get go. We've had kind of a, a one to one relationship with our players um, from when there were hundreds of players to now when there are hundreds of thousands of players. So um, I think it's really, really important very early on that community is a, is a big focus if you're looking to bring a game to market. And Alexis, what about for you? Do you find that your community is mainly online or do you have any offline meetups? Um, mainly online, um, especially at Chucklefish. Uh, Xbox, obviously, E3, and every other convention that they're at, Gamescom specifically, very busy. Um, I think similarly uh, to Jagex, because it's been around for such a long time, having uh, that community to be able to like mould from the very start is quite important. So because Chucklefish is quite young, it's nice and it's fresh and it's easy to kind of slip in and say, actually, hey, here's our standards and go from there. Uh, whereas like, I gather it's quite a difficult job with Jagex being around for so long. Uh, it was at Xbox. <laughs> yeah. 
And George, do you find the same, that you're mainly online communities or are you starting to have meetups as well? Well, CCP is in a similar situation with uh, Jagex. EVE Online has been going for 16 years now. Uh, we've got, um, we've been running the EVE World Tour this year, so we've been um, taking, normally we have um, two fan events uh, each year, one, one in Reykjavik called EVE Fan Fest and one in Vegas called uh, EVE Vegas. And this year we've done, we've taken that budget and taking it, spread it all around the world, going to Canada, Australia, uh, various other locations. Um, so I think that the importance of um, on-site fan community events is well documented. I mean, it starts off with QuakeCon back in the 90s and, uh, you know, you've got BlizzCon as well. I mean, so I think that, you know, if you, if you are in a lucky position that you'll have a bunch of people pay tickets and come to a physical location, then, you know, it's a really nice problem to have. I think, you know, really, though, with community, you know, whether or not it's online or, or physical, community just happens for a game. Whether or not you pay attention to it is, uh, <laughs> you know, you can, you can, I always think that you can spend all your time looking at community or none of your time looking at community. It's um, uh, it, its its own beast. If you have something that people love, people will congregate both online and in the real world, around it anyway. It's, and you as a company are either going to devote budget to harnessing that as a means of either bringing more people into your game or selling them more stuff realistically. Um, or, um, yeah, or, or taking a step back and allowing it to, to operate organically. There are, there are, you know, both of which are kind of like sound approaches, but I think the one that generates more success is when you do pay more attention to it. Fantastic. I'm just going to hand over the mic because our host has arrived. This, please welcome Shay Thompson. Thank you so much for your patience. Love London trains. They're so efficient. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for bearing with me. Um, so in recent years, we have seen like a massive pivot to influencer marketing, um, especially like by way of Twitch, like I find a lot of, um, you know, a lot of game launches incorporate streaming in one way or another. And then, you know, so many keys are sent out to influencers. Uh, do you think that they're absolutely vital in terms of influencers and in building a games community? Or do you think there's maybe an over-reliance on them? I'm happy to take this. Sure. Uh, okay, yeah. so um, uh, I, I, is there an over-reliance on them? No, I think that... Perhaps there is, um, people think that influencers could be the magic bullet. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that's the case. Uh, you know, I think that they can certainly help if you're in a position like EA with an established brand and an infinite budget and something like Apex Legends and certainly, you know, having a bunch of influencers and just, and, you know, not doing a run-up to an announcement, just getting a bunch in there on launch day and having yeah. them do the publicity for you is definitely an expensive and very viable tactic. But not very many studios are in that position. If you're an indie dev, there's no way you can do that. No. Um, I think that the interesting thing about streaming is that uh, it, it's not if you only focus on the on the major streamers, the the, the professional streamers who can cost between fifteen and thirty k just to turn up, um, then you're not necessarily going to get as far as you would like as if you try and make VIPs of your own community who are already streaming like if you give your own community if you if you can identify and reach out to and, and make mvps of your own community by giving them access to your own platform and by broadcasting them amplifying their message then hopefully you can turn these people who are naturally passionate about your product into uh, people with an audience of their own because what you'll find with professional streamers is they'll talk about your product for 
particular beat, and then they'll move on if they're not that passionate about it, and the audience can always tell whether or not something's authentic. Um, if, I remember when we did something for E Valkyrie where we um, we wanted we were desperate to get E Valkyrie into the top 16 games on, on Twitch. Mm. And we thought we'd do like a thunderclap moment by getting a bunch of streamers to, to stream it in a particular um, uh, time span and, and try and break it in there. But what happened was we saw on our forums, like this stream is, is sponsored by so-and-so, you know, this thread is yeah. sponsored by so-and-so because our community were like, well, obviously this isn't organic. Yeah. You know, then people really respond to what streamers when they're streaming about stuff that they, they love. Yeah. The only other thing I would say, and sorry to, to is that... Um, I think that streamers are going to go exactly the same way as press and bloggers. Like um, in 10, 15 years' time, if you want to be, there's probably going to be about three or four major international agencies who operate and own streamers. If you want to get into in touch with that, you're going to be speaking to one of those agencies uh, to unlock it. And it's going to be every, everything in the video games industry is about ultimately consolidization and standardization. Um, and you'll see the same thing with streamers. And if you want to be a streamer and get picked up and, and get free codes and money and sent out places, then you're going to want to work for one of these agencies. And if you want to work with one of these, if you want streamers to turn up to your venue, you're going to have to work for one of these agencies. It's all going to become much less of the exciting Wild West yeah. that it is at the moment. <laughs> Just touching on Apex for a minute, because Apex was one of my uh, one of my activations. Well done. <laughs> like how that worked. Yeah. Um, I think something that's important as well when it comes to EA and their influencers and how they operate is their game changer network. Um, and how key that is to the success of their games, because not many people know this, but EA actually have a, uh, a network within itself, which is an influencer network. Essentially, they pay for like flights and hotels and things to get them there, but they don't pay for the content itself. Um, so that's always down to the game changers to essentially make their own content and their thoughts and feelings on it. So it's borderline, hmm, is that okay? Or, but... Uh, a lot of these influencers, because of game changers as well, uh, they've taken smaller influencers and been able to take them out to these things that they would never usually be able to see. So they also have this like really nice organic base, um, which I think is really important for every single community that's out there. Like, not a lot of people are actually putting time and effort and money into this. There's like a huge arm of EA that just solely concentrates on influencers. Well, uh, game changers and Apex are going to be two of my examples. So, <laughs> um, so no, I mean, at, at Jagex, we've um, we again are in a slightly more fortunate position in that we've got two really strongly established games um, that have been going for a while, and our community are very, very passionate about those two titles and not an awful lot else. Um, so, we found um, that our our creators, when they've uh, when they've sort of started building their audiences, they've kind of got these really really hardcore, hyper engaged audiences that actually are much more valuable to us than spending loads of money on getting somebody in to um, to stream our game for four hours at a time. Um, we have done influencer marketing. Um, we had a really really a uh, couple of really successful activations where we launched old school RuneScape on mobile last year. Um, but again, they had a kind of a, a an authenticity because they'd play we specifically chose people who had played old school in the past and had either lapsed or they weren't uh, currently playing and um, because they could hark back to the nostalgia they could hark back to um, having played it in the past the feelings that they that they kind of um, had when they were playing it beforehand those activations were a lot more authentic a lot more successful um, and I, that's kind of what my suggestion would be if you can find people who are interested in the kinds of games that that if it's say if it's a new game if there are um sort of 
parallel games that, that might be uh, relevant to yours, I would go for those kinds of creators rather than somebody who is uh, a big variety streamer. Um, because I think that when we're looking at creators as a whole, you get your be best bang for your buck with the kind of the smaller, medium-sized creators rather than the Tyler ones or the um, Ninjas, uh, for example. Um, Fortnite also did a fantastic job um, with their um, organic influencer marketing as well. They um, embedded lots of stuff in their early game in their beta to try and promote um, creators. So if you're kind of going through that beta process, make sure you're, you're thinking about what you're doing to try and support those creators early on in that process so you lock them in nice and early. Awesome. Um, so just to like follow up on that, actually, do you, does Twitch, is it something you factor into your activations like a lot of the time? And like, how exactly do you do so? We we have a we do have a focus on Twitch. It's one of many platforms that we we try and focus in on. Um, we've done some research with our with our community, and we found that I think in terms of where they get their information from, about eighty percent of them are on YouTube. Um, about I think about fifty percent of them are on Twitch. Um, so it's kind of one of many different platforms that we that we use. Um, we've put a lot of work into trying to support the creators on any platforms that that we. That we've um, that we kind of support, but I would say that Twitch is great um, and it can really give you those kinds of, as as George was saying, thunderclap moments. Um, and it, it, it is indicative of a really healthy community when you've got X amount of players on your directory streaming the game. But it's not the only indicator. So mm -hmm. I would say look at Twitch as an option, but it's not necessary for every game. Do you have something you want to add? I was just going to say, um, if you are looking at influencer marketing, especially if they're using like Twitch specifically, mm -hmm. um, a big problem and health just came up as a subject is that a lot of these communities aren't necessarily healthy, um, and it's really hard to gauge that upon like just skimming them. So when you're taking like your ninjas, your big mm -hmm. top influencers, you're looking at numbers, you're not looking at health. And like, you're looking at engagement from like the wrong point of view. Like healthy engagement is kind of what you want to be considering uh, as the top priority rather than just engagement, here's my numbers. Mm -hmm. Which is what a lot of larger AAA companies want. Obviously they want, this is our stream, this is like the millions of people that tuned in, here's our concurrence. Da -da -da -da. And like, yeah, that's great, but was it healthy communication? Probably not. I think you'll find when we when like this will probably be a running theme in this talk actually yeah. when you talk about community you can't really talk about numbers very often it's very much more the kind of the intangible things yeah. that are more important than the tangible things that you can measure yeah no I agree with that <laughs> I mean it's sorry just <laughs> trying to draw a line I, I, you're often in, in the communications world asked to provide details on how what you're doing is having an influence um, mm. towards the company's bottom line, essentially, and it is fuzzy AF. Yes. So, <laughs> There's still companies that just don't think a community manager is necessary. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so actually talking about like healthy engagement and um, like just how communities interact with each other. So talking about like social media, um, like your Twitters, Facebook, etc. Um, that usually facilitates like a relationship with devs, um, which is good. Like it can be a good relationship, but it can also be a pretty bad one. Um, do you think forums have a place to like come back? Because I thought I feel like forums have kind of fallen out of 
Oh, Chucklefish have a huge forum oh, because really? we don't have a well, we're like fifteen staff members. Mm -hmm. Like we don't have a support system. We're not we're not drag ex. We can't sit there and like <laughs> <laughs> we can't sit there and like have a support team. Mm -hmm. That's just not possible. It take yeah. fifty people uh, just for like one game because obviously we support several developers and not just our own games. So if you can imagine like Starbound uh, and Star Stardew Valley, it's on like five platforms and then those platforms each have their own mm -hmm. issues and then like it was just so messy but so we use forums um and similarly to gif gaff actually um where they have like a community sentiment basically if you are uh if you're helpful in some way um mm -hmm. then you kind of are rewarded uh via a system that's in place there so we use forums heavily because we can't afford a support system mm -hmm. and similarly we, we forums are an extensive part of the community for EVE Online. We've yeah. got the official forum and then there's a bunch of unofficial forums and then there's Reddit, which is the world's biggest forum. Yeah. Right? And whenever anyone talks about forums, I mean, the great thing about Reddit was what I said earlier about consolidation and standardization. Reddit is kind of like that. For forums now, there's just one forum and it's for everything. Um, um, it, forums may not be the sexiest social media platform out there. Mm -hmm. You know, They don't generate the kind of headlines in The Guardian that you'd find about Twitch or what have you, but they're still the deepest. And they're still the most uh, the most intricate. I mean, in terms of the friendships that you make, I, I, I honestly reckon you're more likely to make long-lasting friendships in a community on a forum than you are in YouTube comments. Um, I mean, that's just a... Yeah. But, um, <laughs> the people that we hire into community, um, often they come from the forums. I came from the forums. My first gig in the industry was because I was surfing a forum and saw that they needed a QA. So um, forums are... Deep. I don't. I. But I suppose if you want to. Oh God, this is such a horrible definition. But I'm going to go with it anyway. Like everything else is kind of casual, whereas forums are kind of like pretty hardcore. And I love them for that. Do you know what I mean? Um, but they are also because of the the much higher degree of anonymity there, even possibly even higher than than Twitter. Um, you could. You, they have the capacity capacity to be. Very, very toxic. Which is yeah. so. If you, uh, the Steam forum is a is a classic example of, of uh, unbridled toxicity. Every time there is a, a game that starts, I mean, there's a group. That I, in my opinion, there's a group of people who, who who stick around on Steam, and whenever there's like a new game that launches, and they see a virgin forum with no one posting, they're just that's it. That's the game for them. Just, yeah. to, just to, they don't even play the game. They just go onto this naked forum with no one there and just start posting horrible stuff. Um, uh, so forums are great, um, but they're a double-edged sword. Steam forums like a different beast, right? Just because mm. it's it's not fans of your game, it's fans of people who play games. Yeah, fans of Steam. Yeah, yeah. fans of Steam. People that want to just ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think one of the important things about forums um, is that it's one of the only places where you can actually own the conversation and you can moderate it um, on these other platforms. It's a lot more difficult because things like control messaging mm -hmm. um, be able to engage people in perhaps you want the way that you want to engage them. So I think forums are a really important part of an overall community because I think it offers somewhere for the brand itself to have a little bit more control over what is said and, and how it's being said. Um, I mean, we have seen many a Reddit blow up on uh, on Reddit and uh, <laughs> it becomes very difficult to manage those situations. Um, I think on forums that, that, that is much more easily managed and also because it's a bit more insular, there's less chance of things like 
crises coming out of something like a forum than there is, say, if something goes wrong on Reddit, it ends up on Reddit all within 12 hours and then you get into full crisis comms mode. So, I mean, we, we conduct all of our AMAs on our official forum precisely for that reason. But because our official forum for EVE is, is we have the control, we have the moderation powers, the, you know, the most exciting conversations from the community's perspective, not from CCP's perspective, yeah. does occur on Reddit. But I, I still consider Reddit a forum. Like for me, it's about yeah, the medium. Right. And I mean, I suppose Twitter to a set. Well, Twitter is a micro-blogging platform, which I suppose is slightly different. But um, um, I, I, I don't see much of a distinct distinction between Reddit and, and forums. Reddit is just the unofficial forum. Yeah. Unofficial I mean, forum. We we treat um, Discord in a similar way as well yeah, actually because um, we have an official discord server for, for runescape for old school runescape and it becomes again somewhere where people can freely talk about something um, but at the same time you kind of have a degree of being able to oversee it and it's a little bit more insular than perhaps a yeah a twitter or a uh, a youtube or a i mean slightly less extent because facebook is killing organic reach but um <laughs> facebook as well yeah, no, Discord is great. Discord is probably my most favorite development in community tools over the last 10 years. I think it's brilliant. I really love it. And so in what ways do you kind of use, like, like I'm curious to know why you love Discord so much. Because like, I'm a text guy. Like, I like, <laughs> like, I, I like being, you know, I like, that was the internet when I grew up. Do you know what I mean? It was pre-video, pre-streaming. Like I'm not, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't find me on Twitch. You'd definitely find me on Discord because yeah. it's so. It reminds me of what it was like back in the day, back in the nineties, where you'd like be amazed that some guy from across the world was like typing away on his screen. And you'd get a post back, and yeah, it was brilliant. But now it's all in real time on Discord, and it's brilliant. And it's, it is. It, there's so many different channels. It's it's like the, it's like forums like evolved yeah i'd say that i mean i think i think looking at um discord as well and going back to one of the earlier questions it's also a really good way to be able to communicate with your creators as well we've got sort of private channels for each of our creators where we can have one-on-one -on -one conversations with them um, and if you need to you can hop on a voice call like that so um it's a really really useful platform to be able to get that not just the mass messaging out, but also kind of that one-to-one -one interaction as well and for people to feel like they are a proper part of a community. No, and for QA as well, I mean, if you've got a product in alpha, so, so the question that Mel asked at the start was, you know, when to bring people into a community and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, you know, more and more developers are, you know, doing public alphas or closed, sorry, mm -hmm. not public alphas, closed alphas where there's a, we reach out to people, either MVPs within the community or there's some kind of mechanism where you're bringing people in and, and Discord and that then becomes absolutely essential for precisely that reason. You can have like really, really good engagement between, it, it's almost like the relationship between a, a traditional QA and an engineer. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so Discord really facilitates that really well. It, it's brilliant. Love it. Might get a t-shirt. <laughs> Someone in the uh, audience said IRC. <laughs> oh yeah, well yeah, it is. It's IRC. It's, yeah, it's, it's good IRC. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you like touched on this very very briefly, but in terms like in terms of managing crises, um, obviously we've had like loads of stuff come to light within the games industry recently. Um, how do you go about like effectively crafting a meaningful um, crisis communication? <sighs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a really difficult one, crisis comms, because. Yeah. 
it's it's simultaneously about messaging, but also about timing mm. and getting those two married up and getting the right state internal stakeholders involved with and, and approving of all of the different things that are going on can take more time than actually you need. It's almost like a game of chicken sometimes where do you go out early um, with a slightly less polished message or do you go out slightly later when you've had a chance to, to kind of because inevitably all of these things happen sort of overnight and you wake up in the morning and Reddit is burning down or uh, you see a press release of something and it's always the first person in the office that's like, ah, I'm going to have to try and deal with this now. Um, so, I mean, my, my personal thought is that you kind of have a middle ground where um, before things can go too crazy, um, you've grabbed everybody who needs to be there, grabbed them in a room nice and early, work out what the, the plan of action is, work out a contingency if things continue to go badly um, and take it from there, really. So um, I, I completely agree. There is always pressure on you in crisis comms, in the crisis situation and so on, to say, just say something. And mm -hmm. a good yes. comms person will be like, hold, you know. Holding statement, yeah. You know, like, like, let's not rush into it. It makes more, like, like Miyamoto said, no one remembers like a, a, a late game. Everyone remembers a bad one. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone remembers a bad statement. Like, if, but if you release a statement, you know, twelve hours after rather than six hours after, no one's going to remember that the following day. Mm. Um, uh, I think the important thing is always to have a, a, a KMQA to back up. But like, so KMQA is a key messages and, and questions and answers doc. It's basically a fancy, fancy FAQ, mm. and you always want to have one of those um, before you even announce a game, so that you've got a list of like anywhere between twenty and hundred questions with rote answers, so that. If your crisis falls along any one of these particular things, you've already got the messaging in place and you can massively shorten your, your time span uh, in order to getting um, um, comms out. You also really, really need to know like a really, really strong, um, not just um, who your designated spokespeople are, but also your escalation strategy as well. Like the last thing you want is an engineer thinking that, you know, because an, a, a, something's happened that they've got the right to be able to start talking on the company's behalf on Twitter, which does happen and is bad. <laughs> like, just people people in the company absolutely need to know, you know, who is and who can't say stuff. Um, and, and the escalation path. So if I'm one of these people who can't say stuff, right, what's my path to getting through to someone who can? So that's all. So before a crisis, there's all, already a ton of planning that's gone in, like a bunch of prepared statements, etc. If, as inevitably happens, the crisis doesn't hit any one of those prepared yeah. statements... Um, I absolutely, I think the temptation to, to rush out a statement has to be held at bay until you've got something good. I, there, I, I, uh, I don't know. So there was a situation recently that I noticed on the internet where a company uh, in the United States had to respond about um, one of their uh, employees um, being picked up by the cops in the States for having done something <laughs> particularly bad. Um, and I, I, I know all the parties involved, in, involved and apart from the person who was picked up by the cops, they're all great people. Now, I noticed um, lots of other companies who were tangentially associated, like rushed out of state. And then, but the company itself um, waited until the following day. And when its statement came out, it was golden. It was glorious. And it just kind of like stopped the conversation right there because there was nothing left to be said. And rather than like you know, a, a, a do you not have phones moment or a, or a, <laughs> um, a, um, uh, a you know, like in Star Wars Battlefront 2, you know, the most downvoted comment of all time type of thing. Like, mm -hmm. if you just, 
keep cool and keep senior management because it's always senior management who is going to be putting pressure on you to, to push something out early. If you just take the time, craft something golden and put that out, sorted. Cool. Um, a good crisis piece, in my opinion, minimizes harm, not just for you and your company, but for the people that are involved because harassment is awful. Um, second to that, it's also not laying blame elsewhere. It's stopping that conversation so that it gets any further. So your statement should always be about closing off avenues of discussion. If you can say something in one paragraph, go for that rather than the three. That's lots and lots of explanations because people can pick out at it. So it, I'd just be reiterating what these two have said, essentially. It's timing, it's authenticity, and it's empathy as well. Like People forget that. Um, it's hard when you've got like a, a company brand that kind of rests on kind of being brave or a bit edgy or something like that and having to be authentic and actually a person for just a moment. Mm. Um, on like cutting down that sort of like corporate wall and saying, actually, no, we're sorry about this thing. Um, it's difficult, definitely. Um, I can't say much more than these guys have said. Agree. That's great. Thank you. Um, so to take it a little bit more positively, um, <laughs> you mentioned earlier on about Discord and you know being able to communicate with people in different time zones, which is a wonderful thing. Um, do you have have you ever faced any challenges like trying to effectively manage communities in other countries? Xbox have regionalized uh, community managers and social media managers because localization is really important. Yeah. Uh, if you've got the money to do so, you should, because yeah. your company in Brazil uh, is so different to your company in China and yeah. vice versa. Uh, that's the most effective way of doing it. And if you can't do that, then you need to build, I guess, you need to build a moderation team that you trust and that respect you and you respect them that are available at different time zones, because you, there's no way that you as a community manager can do this from one country. You're not. People think about, when they think about crunch, they think about developers, mm -hmm. uh, people that are programming, making art, but they don't think about community managers that are replying just about before they're about to go to bed, checking their social media to see if there's anything that's blown up. Because you do have that anxiety, right? And it's I'm not. so good. Just, just, that's yeah. It rings true. So it's building that team that you trust and that you care about and they care about you, uh, and being able to say, okay, here's the reins. Please be careful with them. <laughs> Uh, and then coming back and picking them back up at the uh, in the morning. Like, it's difficult, but it is doable. I think if a community manager is a, a very specific type of person, I think um, it's one of these roles which is not a clock in, clock out kind of, mm -hmm. kind of role at all. Um, yeah, so there are weekends, there are evenings um, involved. And as Jagex and uh, like RuneScape and Old School, they are... Um, actually the prim primary player base is in the US. Um, we're a UK-based company. Um, all of our offices in the UK. Um, we do localize into other um, languages, but trying to marry up those kind of uh, the comms between, say, a, um, a statement that we would put out or a, a tweet that we would put out, we have to understand where kind of our peak times are. It's normally sort of about 8 p.m., something like that, um, which obviously for the UK working day, not ideal. So it's kind of taking into account all of those different um, scenarios, working out where your audience are and where you can best um, present what you want to present to the most amount of people that you possibly can do. And then hopefully 
the community will then take it from there and then do a lot of your job for you um, after or sort of for out of hours stuff. Um, but it is really worth getting, even if it's not sort of a, a bespoke or a, um, a dedicated head in to do sort of out of hours stuff, it's worth getting some kind of moderation um, agency or something like that on board that could potentially deal with things that need to be dealt with out of hours or for um, localized languages as well. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. If you've got a global community, hiring an agency or, or having people in locations is the ideal solution. Uh, sometimes, if, you, if you're working in an indie, you don't have the budget and that's not going to be possible. Then the only other, your only other tactic is to try and train your community to understand when your opening hours are. Um, uh, you, you know, this, is, this can be done with a, um, uh, a, a, a pin statement on a forum or... or pin statement on Facebook or, or, or you know, or, or a pin statement on, on, on Twitter. Um, um, and again, that 100% about the building up um, a team of moderators is essential. For EVE Online, we've got this thing called them, the ISD. Um, uh, I've forgotten what the acronym stands for, but they're basically a bunch of community volunteers spread all around the world who have one-on-one um, -on -one personal relationships with our three-man community team. Um, and they are empowered to serve and speak uh, on our behalf. Um, just not not like about announcements and stuff, but just to make sure that the conversation doesn't go haywire, and also to alert us if something you know is is flaring up um, at the time zones that make sense to them. Um, so yeah, so either it's volunteers, agency, or you've got to tell people that you're only around around during particular hours, really. Ideally, a combination of all three. We've got we've got um, forum moderators, we've got player moderators in game, um, and we've got um, I can't remember the exact terminology, but they're basically Twitter helpers as well. So um, with our support, uh, our support team are active. I think between uh, nine a.m. and ten p.m. I think um, on on social media, but out of, out of hours during those times, um, we have uh, a group of about I think it's about fifty players who would uh, not obviously every day but would hop in and out and they'd have kind of almost like shifts I suppose where if something would come to the Jagex support Twitter account they would jump in and say actually well have you uh, are you able to perhaps go to the support center submit a ticket um, for, and we'll try and get it to you as soon or try and get it sorted as soon as we can when we're back in the office that kind of thing so that kind of uh, so players get a sense that we're listening to them or at least somebody's listening to them um, but they also understand that we are a UK-based company. We do have specific kind of working hours, um, and that in an ideal world we would be we would be sorting everything twenty-four-seven. But it's just not it's just not sustainable, really, to do that. No, absolutely not. And I'm glad you don't do that. <laughs> um, so you mentioned Alexis uh, very briefly about like crunch um, and like burnout because that's a very very real concern for our industry. Like, how do you go about like actively avoiding that? Because, like you said, at some points, you know, you do check Twitter even when you're like mid-dinner, stuff like that. So how exactly do you limit um, burning out, as it were? I'm Ooh. really curious to hear this answer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, for lack of a better word, I guess, it's kind of like almost a bad habit. It's, it's a bad habit. So for me at the moment, checking through like what's going on on our accounts is strictly kind of forbidden by Chucklefish. They won't let me look at things. How dare you? Yeah, like they pretty much, because we have um, 
one of our publishing team is a chap up in Canada, so he can kind of like take over and help with that. And basically, so Chucklefish have a zero crunch policy. So like you finish at six and that's it. And if you need to do anything over like five minutes, even five minutes over, you've got like the CEO being like standing over your desk being like, why are you here? Leave, leave. I need to lock up, go away. So it's, um, but for me, I can just pick up and look at, check my phone when I'm mm. on the tube or whatever. And he can see when I'm replying. So he will come over to my desk in the morning and be like, what are you doing? Why? Please stop. Like, you can just reply to this in the morning. Is it important? Is it like, do you need to action this right now? If it's a support thing, then they need to go through the proper channels. Like, you're not expected to do these things. And it's not something I can kind of give to bigger companies because it's a difficult thing to sort of... It's a very privileged position to be in a job where I've got someone actively telling me, stop working because mm. you're overworking. Uh, and that is such a minority. Yeah. What I will say is I don't think it should be a privilege, though. I think that, I should, know. Yeah, that should actually be the norm. Like... In my, like, I don't know, the other nine years of my career, I've mm. never been told by anybody, stop doing this. Mm. Or, yeah. like, thanked for even yeah. working outside those hours because it's just sort of quietly expected of you and it's not fair. Yeah, I really struggle with that as well when I, when I started at, at Jagex. Like, and I've seen it with many community managers where um, their, kind of their role becomes almost like their life, where if they play the game as well, um, so we tend to, a lot of our community managers tend to come through players of our game or they used to be players of our game or they are players of our game so when you are um, that intrinsically linked to the community when you're playing the game as well as it's an MMO you tend to kind of never be able to switch off and we've seen instances of play uh, of staff kind of almost in no uncertain terms being having to be told do not do this kind of thing and uh, it's it's really really tough it's really it's something that's really difficult to manage I think I've only just about got to the point where I feel like actually I've got my work-life balance absolutely sound um, but there are obviously times where it does get it does get quite stressful um, and it does feel like you are doing a lot more than you kind of you should be doing. And that's, I suppose, again, you have to have a very specific kind of person that wants to be a community manager because I think they go, everybody goes into it knowing that that might be uh, a problem they have to deal with. Um, but we've got to a point where I think it's also... And Alexis, you were saying it was um, your boss that came over and said, you've got, you've, got to, you've got to stop doing that kind of thing. And I think that's, that's what it is. It's almost like this. If you've got somebody who's heading up a team who works 18-hour days, then you feel like that is the, the dumb thing. And I think you've got to lead by example sometimes and tell people, like, this is, this is the working day. These are your working hours. I'm heading off now, so you should as well. And I'm going to take a half an hour break here. You should as well. And I think that's kind of how it should work. I think so. you get a lot of community managers coming in or community executives fresh-faced and wanting to try and impress. And again, they, they kind of get to this burnout stage and you, you, you almost need to sort of lay down the law nice and early and, and lead by example and give people the the kind of work-life balance that they they should have because otherwise they'll end up leaving the company within a couple of years yeah. it's kind of the opposite of guilt actually for me because when finn comes to my desk and says that to me he's like you're making more work from me because i'm checking to see if you're working and <laughs> um, because he can also see if like builds are pushed as well so we have a developer who just won't stop working as well um because he's like well sometimes i'm late in the morning i'm like yeah but go away like <laughs> you can see when things are updated and you're making more work for their managers to then have, have to check. So actually now I feel bad because I'm making more work for somebody else. So I'm like, oh, actually, yeah, this is as bad. And, and maybe that's the incentive. 
Uh, so for me, the, the, like, I mean, oh gosh, when I got into the industry, you have such a funny, I mean, I mean you lionize crunch to begin with. Do you know what I mean? It's like this glorious thing that leads to an amazing game. Anyway, look, the only thing, the only way I've managed to get <laughs> stop crunch is I played a lot of No Man's Sky, and in No Man's Sky, you've got this universe that's so big you can't explore everything. And I'm the type of gamer that likes 100% games. I like to see all the new art, see all the various different corners. And the reason I like No Man's Sky is I went in there knowing, well, Christ, I'm never going to be able to see anything, you know, everything, so I'm just going to enjoy the bits that I see. My problem with crunch was always in the past is I, I love being at least ahead of or at least on top of the conversation. And, you know, you'd, and I've seen this with a lot of community managers that you take a holiday or they're afraid to take a holiday because by the time you come back, the amount of conversation that's happened whilst you've been away is impossible and impossible to stay on top of and you start getting really stressed and then you start down whether or not you're good at your job and oh it's so no man's sky got me to think like hey there is the conversation i'm never going to be able to stay on top of all of it you know so i'm just going to check in and check out as makes sense for me and in you know prioritize the bits that that i can solve and deprioritize the bits that i can't that was it really but i mean um You know, you mentioned the word privilege. I think the thing is, if you if we're all pretty privileged working within a really exciting, enthusiastic media that we love, and 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 it's um, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know how you start crunch. I do far too much of it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a, it's a doozy. I think it's much easier to solve crunch in other people than it is in yourself. Or at least that's my experience. I've been far more capable of being able to let. Uh, or, or, or had more success with encouraging uh, direct reports, you know, and, and seeing you know what is in healthy and unhealthy working practice in other people than than speaking personally. Well, I hope you find some solution for that soon. I think this will be a good time to take some questions if anybody has any. Hi guys, thanks for a great talk. Um, my question is about demographics and talking to different sections of your communities. Obviously, once you're building a game, it becomes complex. You're attracting a huge, wide range of audiences from the very young to the very old. And I was listening about strategies about how you communicate to the subgroups within your gamers. Do you change your messaging style? Do you change your approach? And do you perhaps even have champions for specific subsections of the community? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Uh, so, um, old school is one of those. Is actually a, a bit of a unique game in that, um, in order for an update to go into game, it needs seventy five percent of the community to vote it in. It's one of kind of our strongest USPs as a, as a game. And whilst in theory and as a marketing thing, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, in practice, it can mean that there are lots and lots of there's lots and lots of flaming going on between sub communities. Um, say, for instance, our PvP community. There's probably about 10% of our overall players actually engage in PvP. And it means that if we try and do any updates that are catered towards PvP, it has to go through the polling system first. Um, so we've had a few instances in the past where updates have not gone through, um, communities have been really frustrated. And what we've tried to do to, to manage those situations is speak to, there are kind of figureheads in those communities that are recognizable by multiple different um, other members of the community. And we try and focus in on those guys. Uh, and we spoke about Discord, engage them in a kind of a one-to-one -one conversation about how we can move forward with this, um, any other suggestions that they have. Um, and what we can do to kind of 
help the community at large to understand why this will be a good thing for the game. Um, it's kind of a bit of a unique example, but I think, I suppose th to get out of it as a more of a generalized thing is, is have, think about those figureheads, those people who in the community who represent um, various different other play styles or um, game modes or anything like that and speak with them on a one-to-one -one basis because obviously you can't do it to everybody. It's gonna, you're going to have to pick and choose your battles as and where you, you do. And um, you would get then people who are respected within the, uh, within the company talking about those areas of the, the game as well, speaking to those individuals and they feel valued, they feel like what matters to them also matters to us. And I think that's a really, really important thing um, for a healthy community for them to feel valued. I just want to understand the question a little bit better. So when you're talking about demographics. I was talking more about yes, demographics and subgroups, so different ages of players, because some of the titles may be skewing slightly older, younger, um, across the range, equally the subgroups as well. So it's a kind of combination of both. Um, okay, so uh, I mean it, it's really so the way you always interact with the community is via a particular platform. Now, these platforms can skew, let's take talk just about ages, can like skew a particular age range, but inevitably you're only ever talking about a bell curve. Um, uh, you do want to tailor your message to make it platform specific, like how you deliver a message on Facebook will not be the same as the way you deliver it on a forum or Twitter or on a blog. There are you know, different levels of complexity and stuff. But again, um, you know, is, is so for example, I'm just trying to think for EVE Online, is there a way for me to craft a message that's specific to someone who's 25 playing it, someone who's 35 playing it? I mean, they'll be touching probably different points of the game. Uh, EVE has got three major sections of its space. It's got high sec, low sec, null sec. Null sec is where you're ultra hardcore play and high sec is where you've got more new people play. Uh, similarly to, to Jagex, we've got a player council um, who, who we, the council of stellar management, who we go to and help us craft our messages to help make sure that they are going to be best received by the community or specific subsets of the community. Or if we are going out with one singular message, then we've ensured, we've thought about it from all angles, from all the various different subsets of the community. So I think a, a major takeaway is definitely build a player council. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's, you, you know, you've got to be aware of the, you know, the, the, the platforms and the mediums that you're using to communicate your community. Identify the sections of your audience that they tend to attract and then craft a message appropriately for them. Like we would never speak on Reddit the way we do on Facebook. It would just be carnage. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, understanding that kind of difference, I think. I, think, I hope that answers your question. Okay. Kind of going a little bit deeper with it, the way the Chucklefish tend to communicate with their players, regardless of if they've developed the game or not, they will pick up a game that they feel represents their values. So it will be fairly diverse. Um, in, well, I mean, it's not a radical statement to say, like, okay, here's my black lead, here's my like, old lady who's actually quite important to the story, that kind of thing. So when we're talking to our players, it's generally through the work that we put out rather than specific to each platform or like, okay, we're going to talk to the over 50s now. Like George was saying just then, it's not really possible to segment like that. You have to just go off who is working on your platform and how you usually communicate with them. Also, while trying to keep it within like the brand framework that you already have. Um, I guess you've kind of already answered it. Thanks. 
actually that point about um, like tailoring your message for different platforms is really interesting because I find that in general I know we opened up before but like I find that Instagram is a really underused platform in games like and obviously games are such a visual medium like why why don't we use Instagram gaming influencers are really rare on uh, yeah. Instagram yeah. It's, it's, yeah I agree it's really yeah. untapped and the ones that do use it tend to be sort of like lifestyle blogger types mm. and because of that I think your kind of hardcore ninja types or whatever sort of steer away from it mm. um, I th yeah I think sometimes if you're looking at like the the if like, the stereotypical gamer what they kind of represent what they um, what appeals to them it might not be somebody who is taking a sort of a, a tailored picture of themselves or, mm. or, or like a, I don't know, like a advertising a bedspread or something like that. It might not, they're, 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 um, the appeal might not be quite the same. Mm. And obviously with uh, Instagram, I mean, it's less of, the, less of the case now, but when Instagram started, it was a very female focused platform to mm. begin with. And I think because of that, brands have been quite hesitant, like gaming brands, because as much as it, I would love it to be less of the case and it is getting better it is kind of a, a male dominated area mm. and um because of because of that i think when instagram started a lot of brands were kind of like mm, not really not really for us because it doesn't really fit our demographics mm. i think that's less of the case now and i think actually we've done a lot of really interesting work with with influencers on uh, on instagram but also on our kind of our existing channels as well um so Whenever, well, no, go on. I was gonna say whenever I get like an influencer um, emailing or whatever, and they say, "Actually, here's my YouTube subscribers, and here's my Twitter," and then they don't, they stop, mm. they don't say, "Here's my Instagram." Like it's really rare that you see an Instagram uh, page for any big streamer. I'm not sure why, because it's a really good, that's mm. a really good platform. platform. That's what I'm saying. Like, like uh, there's still that disconnect between seeing art, art, uh, gaming, gaming, and games as art. So yeah. I think that's kind of where it stops. That is a really nice segue because we've had. <laughs> We've been doing some really fun, cool stuff on Instagram recently that's uh, had quite a lot of success. Obviously, there's there's Instagram Stories, and Instagram Stories allows you to, to communicate stuff in a, in a really cool way. But when we first started doing Instagram, we did the typical thing that I think most studios do, which is like, here's some photos of the studio. Here's some like, here's yeah. the people behind the game. Here's like the cake that we put out on Friday. No one cares. No one cares about <laughs> Joe, the engineer who had a birthday on a Friday. Do you know what I mean? Um, but what people do care about uh, is what I what I consider like traditional Tumblr type content. So you're like exposing fan art or exposing like, hey, we're going to focus on this particular artist at our studio. Here's some work that he's done, yeah. um, and you get three or four posts. You know, like concept stuffs, wireframe stuff, grey box stuff. Like, um, 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 and, and that seems to be pretty good. Um, again, like taking fan fan art from the community on our platform that seems to be work, working quite well uh, and and then obviously when it does come to pure photography because of the events we do um uh the community's favorite topic of conversation is always going to be the community uh, and so they love seeing photos about themselves <laughs> they love seeing photos of themselves yeah. getting drunk with devs do you know what i mean so that 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 works pretty well yeah. instagram is probably the best platform for humanizing your development team yeah. yeah i love instagram i think it's a fantastic platform and um it gives you such a diverse set of tools to be able to communicate with your community yeah. um so is it because it's because it's so visually um focused as well it means that you can really showcase the best parts 
of your game or your community or um, well anything else really related to your game mm. and um, I think it should be used more way more yeah, yeah comprehensively and it's free from like hot takes mostly yeah. so uh, and, also, and also yeah. in terms of organic social um you're likely to reach more people on it, it might i think it's changing a little bit now but you're more likely to reach more people on instagram than you are on facebook you're likely to reach more people shouting into an empty yeah. room yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. sorry i sound very anti-facebook well i mean I, I mean a bit yeah I've seen several of your posts over the years, just in the community page, which is like, fucking Facebook. And I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was such a shame. They, had, they, they killed the Golden Goose. It was brilliant when it started. It was absolutely brilliant. I was working at Rare at the time, 2007 or something. I was just like, what is this amazing platform? And now, it's, it, if you're not putting hundreds of dollars behind each post, no one bloody sees it. No. It's such a shame. It's not even that. Like you can put as much money as you want into that post, but then if your next post is just oh, normal, yeah. then they'll like derank everything else that you yeah. do from then on. Yeah. Just, they just encourage you to be like, yeah. Just just on the Facebook thing, if you are look, I mean, we've we've trash talked Facebook a little bit, but um, <laughs> if if you <laughs> if you are in like groups are kind of the way forward, I think for Facebook. I think mm, if you are 100%. looking to to build a. a, a a community or or uh, sort of get messages across then groups are the best way to do that because Facebook is changing the way that it works and that it serves you more um, content from your friends and your family and people who share the same interests as you rather than brands so if you can create a good group within um, within the Facebook ecosystem you're going to see you people are going to see a lot more posts from within that group than they are of the brand um, who might be posting something that's very very similar at that point, you might as well just drag them to Discord, though. That's yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Well, so, so we have, so, so you're, you're both so right. And so with, with Facebook groups, we've found rather than setting up our own group, um, we have we are going on to the, the existing groups the yeah. community have set up themselves. The said community just happens. Um, what we've found, though, to, to, to save our sanity, is we've, we've, you can't post as a page in a group. So and rather than have our devs post from their real-life Facebook profiles, we've set up like a... Like a, a CCP, um, uh, a Facebook profile, like a like an evil mind, like it's after a, a character and stuff. So it, it takes it, it it fulfills Facebook's kind of like real name definition mm. type thing. But the community then know that the that the account they're speaking to is run by multiple people, and it's kind of like the official touch point for CCP rather than uh, like minimizing. <laughs> like if you want to save your sanity, definitely like don't allow real life community people onto your face onto your personal Facebook unless you are hundred yeah. percent sure that it's gonna be okay forever because that yeah. I, I remember getting about <laughs> yeah, I remember getting about four hundred friend requests at the same time. So and there was a blanket decline yeah. all the way down. Yeah. So how do you Jagex deal with that actually? Because you always have like Jagex mod blah blah blah. Like, yeah. That's your name on Twitter and that's all your public profile. So, so I've seen people that have joined you and then changed their names. They've used that specific profile. It's like you work years to build that up and then hand it over to the company. I'm yeah. just curious. No, no, it's, it's, it's um, the we are actually working on that process because I think when particularly when people leave the company, um, they they might have built up a I don't know one of our um, staff had about fifty thousand uh, Twitter followers, and you think actually if you're going to another gaming company. Do we want you to retain that account? But you can. You have to weigh up a couple of things. That num that kind of numbers game. But also, if the person leaves the company and you take their 
Twitter account away. Are they going to be in the best state of mind to talk about the company in the future? Probably not. Um, so we generally, unless something seriously bad has happened um, and they're leaving the company for a very specific reason, we tend to give them or let them retain the account, just unbrand it uh, from, Jagex, uh, from a Jagex account. We have about 160 staff um, with branded social accounts, which is, uh, yeah, the, yeah, pretty much that expression. It's, um, it's one of our biggest USPs, but it's also a double-edged sword in that it means that players can interact with our staff on a much more granular level, um, and they get personal, they get humanized, their players understand who they should go to to talk about X, Y, and Z. But at the same time, it does leave them very open to, say, like abuse or um, targeting. And so we have to try and keep, we, we are talking about internally doing things like resilience training um, to encourage people to do the right things on social, but also so that they're protected as well. Um, and privacy is a, a big thing as well. Um, I mean, I, I personally never had to deal with that kind of a situation. Um, and I don't necessarily hide my, my things like my real name, things like that, but we have seen people being like doxxed in the past, um, which, yeah, is not a fun not situation fun. to be in. Um, so apologies for like opening up the floor and then promptly closing it. It was a really good question and it got me thinking, um, but that actually brings us to the end of the session. Uh, thank you all so much for your patience with me um, and just like being a really good audience. Thank you so much. And thank you to our amazing panelists. Joining us and remember, you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.